This is the story about... I want to do it too. Okay, one, two. This is Precious Lives. Stories about kids. Teens. Teens. Guns. Guns. And how we end the violence. Bye-bye. Because, because we are precious. Because we are precious. I'm Eric Vaughn. This is Precious Lives. I'm Brad Lichtenstein. I am the executive producer of Precious Lives. On Saturday afternoon, 23-year-old Seville Smith was shot and killed by a Milwaukee police officer following an incident in which he was pulled over. We don't know all the details yet. We haven't seen the video. But we know that the community around Sherman Park reacted in a lot of different ways. There were peaceful protests. There were vigils. And there was also violence. People throwing bricks at police officers. People burning police cars and eventually burning down six businesses, including the BP gas station that had been the site of a lot of community tension. Here at Precious Lives, we try to explore the deeper story and go into the tensions and causes and context surrounding gun violence in our community. And so today, I've invited producer Aisha Turner and also Eric Vaughn, who is the host of Precious Lives, to share with us their observations, both reporting in that community and also living in that community. Aisha, Eric, thank you for being here. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. I wanted to start off with you, Eric, and get a little context for this. I mean, I don't think the media and what a lot of people are learning about Milwaukee right now is the full story. I've heard comments like, the city is ablaze, or that there's chaos everywhere. And this was a very defined and very uh, contained area of confusion for the last several days. And... It is not, as many people think, something that just started with the shooting death of uh, a young man who was killed on Saturday. There have been problems with crime. There have been problems with uh, uh, community relations uh, over the years in in Sherman Park. Um, At that very gas station that was burned to the ground on on Saturday, um, there were problems between the community and the owner of that shop in more recent days. So... um, Maybe now somebody will interpret these, this uprising as a real serious cry about the problems in this city. And I think that there are a lot of things that probably could be pointed to. The, the long-term disadvantage that some people feel they've been living with in this community, economic, um, educationally, um, other resources that are not fairly meted out. We probably don't have to spend a lot of time talking about people's feelings about racism in this community. I think that's a real part of it. You've got people who may have been standing on any one of those platforms screaming and angry over what things are in this city. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, with any specificity, which of these ills is the one that's killing us. I think the one that people are most were most vocal about, though, is the issue of racism. I think that that came up again and again. I guess it's tricky in this case with it being a black officer, but still the conversation very much revolved around white officers and like white people versus black people. And, you know, you saw at the beginning, or not at the beginning, but when I first got there around noon, it was like mostly black people on one side of the street and mostly white people on the other side. 
This is on Sunday. This is on Sunday at the intersection. the night of yeah, burning. Right. This is, and I know Sunday morning people were out cleaning, and then I guess things sort of tapered off. So when I was talking to people behind the BP, one one woman was saying, like, why are all the white people over there? Why aren't they here? And then at one point I turn around, and she's talking to this, like, redheaded kid <laughs> who showed up and was trying to find out what was going on. One of the questions she had was, you know, like there are all these white people here now, but like, what are they going? What are they going to go home and say about us? And like, what are the things that they say when we're not around? And I think in a lot of ways, he really confirmed her fears and said, "Yeah, like I think people think it's not that surprising that this is happening. People are saying that people are being wild in Milwaukee, and that's how black people are." And so you, so you saw this like exchange between. You know, this woman that is very aware of racism and very worried about it. And this kid that's saying, yeah, that's real. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I looked at, I think it was the comments following the story uh, yesterday, uh, this morning. Like on Twitter? Or? No, on, in the Journal Sentinel. Um, story about the uprising. Yeah. And uh, just the comments were over, ugly. Over ugly. some of the comments. Monkeys being monkeys. That's the one that stands out. And Aisha, you are essentially new to this community. You moved here from Baltimore. What's your impression of what you're seeing? It seems like a stark way of looking at problems that you're seeing kind of everywhere. The segregation that exists, I think, in a lot of major cities is sharper here in Milwaukee. I think the tensions between police and community that you see a lot of places are feels... Um, those tensions feel heightened. Can you talk about specifically some of the examples of that tension that you have been around in the last week or so? Sure. So I've been covering um, a group in Sherman Park called Program the Parks. It's led by Vaughn Mays Bay. Um, and there are several community organizers that show up pretty much every day and have been doing so since the beginning of June. They started going out because there was something that went out on social media of police harassing kids that were in the park. I'm not quite sure at this point what the the impetus for that initial confrontation was. Basically, as a result of that, this group has been going out um, and trying to organize kids that gather in German Park outside of the Boys and Girls Club who don't necessarily have set things to do um, in the afternoons. And so they've been organizing things like fish fries and picnics and movie nights in order to keep the kids busy, in order to keep an eye on people, and really also to help keep the police out of the way. And so they sort of see themselves as like doing the job of the police officers, which is really to keep things calm because they see that when the police get involved, that's when things start to escalate. Oftentimes when nonprofits or organizations come in, like there's a, there are certain criteria you have to meet. And I'm not quite sure what that is for the Boys and Girls Club, but it's almost like they want the kids that are already kind of doing okay. And like the kids that are maybe more volatile or more at risk, those are the ones that get lost. And so I think one of the great things about the program, the Parks Group, is that they're really just there for everyone. And they're just there for like anyone that's in that space and don't shy away from the kids that are causing the problems and are like going right up to them. 
and trying to like be supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these people are young adults who are at Sherman Park. So you have this varied group of people that you're trying to provide service for, but only one approach because everybody is saying the youth. Yeah, that there was a young man I talked to yesterday who's maybe 26 or 27. He was a friend of Seville's, the the man that was sh- um, shot and killed over the weekend. And by he, the police. By the police, yes. And that's exactly the point that he was making was that, you know, there, yeah, okay, there was a boys and girls club across the street, but like, what good does that do me? I'm 26. When I'm 20, yeah, yeah, when I'm 27 years old and don't have anything to do, and then like you're harassing me for just like hanging out when like there aren't other options here. I start to question if we're really getting at like the root of what's going on and figuring out a way to actually like address the like emotional and psychological needs. So let's talk about trauma. What what do you have in mind when you say that? I mean, like I asked a guy yesterday, like what do you think what do you think's necessary here and like the answer was therapy. And you know, I'm watching the mayor during his press conference say that like parents need to go get their kids, but I'm wondering do these kids have homes to go back to? Um, do these kids have parents that are involved? And I don't, I mean, I don't know what the answer is for that, but I just, I'm wondering if there's something deeper than just like needing jobs or needing activities to do. In um, some of the stories that you've been producing for Precious Lives, that you, you've talked a lot about trauma. And so what do you mean by trauma? Um, trauma such as having gone through the foster care system or having grown up not just in a violent household but in a violent neighborhood, um, experiencing racism. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, what's the impact of, of these things? <laughs> um, these things that maybe seem like, okay, everybody goes through difficult times, right? <laughs> like, I don't think anyone escapes difficulty throughout their life. But if we're looking at several traumas compounded on top of each other, especially when we're dealing with environmental factors that are harder to control as an individual or as a family, what does that then do to your desire to engage with the world around you? What does that then do to your trust for authority? You know, how does that impact how you do in school? But I don't know that people have actually figured out a way to incorporate these ingrained psychological and, like, physical traumas into, like, how we're addressing the problems that we're seeing. A lot of what I heard on Sunday when I was out was just people saying, like, you weren't paying attention to us before, but now we have your attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a huge part of it, is I think people are just angry and just like needs like are acting out and it's not with words it's not in the way that like maybe we're used to seeing protest express itself or the way that we want to see protest express itself but I think it is a form of protest. The conditions are such across the city that people are being pushed and they're on the edge and doesn't take much to fall off. And I think that's what we saw this weekend. So that's why I'm not surprised. There is a lot of back and forth with, like, what is the, like, quote-unquote right response to this. And I, I don't think, I mean, there probably isn't a right response to this because I think that there are a lot of, that, I think that there are people that 
feel like people need to come together and need to work for peace. And I think there, there are people that are saying, like, that hasn't worked. And how are people getting misrepresented, do you think, throughout this weekend and all the coverage? Part of the misrepresentation comes from looking at just the violence um, or just the fires and not looking at the the anger that's behind it or seeing only the anger and not seeing why that, that anger exists and not seeing that anger as valid. And so I think what that does is just continue to play into these stereotypes of black people as angry or as aggressive. Part of it is that people are being misrepresented, but I think the bigger issue for me is that people aren't being fully represented and we're not really seeing the pain that people are dealing with and the trauma that people are experiencing and we're not seeing the tears that people are crying for their friends, for their friend that was shot and killed. We're seeing the person that was shot and killed had all of these like charges and so we're not seeing Seville as like a full person who had family that really loved him and really cared about him and thought of him as like a fun individual that people gravitated towards. We're seeing him as someone that had several charges brought against him. I think it's fair to also say that some of the people who are critical of the people who were so angry that their reaction was to cause destruction when those criticisms comes from come from those people who are equally frustrated but have found yeah. the will to restrain themselves right i think there's something to listen to there too yeah if i live next door to the guy who burned down the o'reilly auto parts place and we've been living the same life we've got the same you know deprivation in our households we uh, don't have any more than you know, one of us doesn't have any more than the other, but I don't go out and do what you did. I didn't burn down the gas station. I didn't burn down the the the, the O'Reilly store. And I'm cussing you because of what you did. I think you got. We've got to listen to that person too, who who again showed restraint, who is just as frustrated, who has felt the who 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 the. The, as I mentioned before, the cumulative effects of all of the uh, uh, mistreatment in this community have impacted in the same way as this person that acted out, um, you know, as, as violently as some did. I, I think there's some value in, in paying attention to that person and figuring out why that person didn't have the same reaction, why that person was able to see that there is a consequence to this action that's not going to be favorable to me or my community, you know, wh whatever their rationale was. And that's the thing. We don't even talk to those people. Nobody asked the person who didn't do anything, why didn't you do something? The sisters of Seville also were saying, was like, that's not what they wanted. Like, they didn't want people out there, um, like, burning things down. And if anything, they felt like that was a distraction. I, I just want to ask this question. How do you fit in the homicides yeah that took place even just during this three-day spread, um, in addition to, to the loss of life at the hands of the police. I believe there were seven people who were killed, uh, many right in that area. So I was there Friday night at the Boys and Girls Club when someone was shot at the, at the corner of Sherman and Burleigh. And of course, everyone's gathering, people are crying, People are upset that the police didn't respond sooner, that an ambulance didn't come sooner. 
So I think it feeds into living in an environment of pain and you're seeing this happen and you're 14 years old at the Boys and Girls Club and like this is what's happening on your Friday afternoon. But then it also feeds into this mistrust of authority when there, there were already sheriff's officers at the Boys and Girls Club for another incident and they didn't respond right away when they heard gunshots. And for people that were standing at the intersection, it felt like it took a really long time for an ambulance to come. So you're dealing with like living in an environment where you're, these difficult things are happening and you're not seeing the level of concern that maybe you're expecting. And maybe everyone that was responding in an official capacity was totally following protocol. But if protocol doesn't feel sensitive to your pain in that moment, that just feeds into a feeling of being ignored or feeling like the lives around you, the lives of people that are in your neighborhood and look like you, aren't as valuable and it's not as urgent. I don't think it's unnatural that people get angry, even get outraged when cops kill civilians, more so than when you know, everyday citizens kill one another. Certainly the families and friends of those people who are civilians who are victimized by other civilians are outraged and angry. But I think entire communities get upset because they feel betrayed by the policemen who do these things. Because, again, these cops are supposed to serve and protect. Thank you both so much for joining us. We'll have to leave the conversation here for right now. But I want you to know that we are going to have a story from Aisha about all of this in the next few weeks. Also, if you're interested in getting involved in one way or another, we have put some links to different organizations such as Program the Parks and Boys and Girls Club on our website. Go to www.preciousliesproject.org for more. Precious Lives is produced by 371 Productions in association with WUWM, WNOV, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. We're supported by the Isabel and Alfred Bader Fund and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Music by Kiran V. 